Romans chapter 14, if you'd like to follow along at home. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. And we looked at this passage a couple years back, didn't we, when we went through our Romans series? Uh, and so what's going on? What's going on in this chapter? Well, there's a whole variety of things. Uh, there's a complexity to it. But today we're going to focus on one thing. 
in this passage. And the one thing we're going to focus on is that Paul is giving instructions to all believers, including us, on how we should live when we have differing convictions on matters which are important, but not moral. How should we live when we have differing convictions on matters which are important, but not moral? See, I believe Paul, he uses these examples here. He uses food primarily, and he mentions holidays in there as well, too. He's, I think he mentions these things because they're easy for us to understand as things that are A, important, and B, disputable. That, yes, some things can be important and disputable, and we don't all have to necessarily arrive at the same conclusion with these things. In this situation that Paul was writing to this church in Rome, this Roman church, there were two categories of people, as near as we can tell. There were those who were bothered in their conscience by the eating of meat. And I think as part of that, it wasn't just a meat thing. It was all the connotations that went with that and the culture. Things that, you know, consuming meat might have some connotation of pagan worship or it might mean the rejection of one's Jewish heritage or or so forth. And so there were those who were bothered in their conscience by that. And then there were those who were bothered, who were not bothered in their conscience by eating meat. So there was those who were bothered and those who weren't. And we could say, hey, this, this happens today all the time. I was thinking I have some friends who have a, a very deep, not in our church, but in a different church, a different place, have a very deep conviction about uh, eating certain kinds of meat. Uh, and they can hold that conviction. And, and I, I hold a very different conviction, you know, uh, Brad and Greg, we're, we're your pastors of pork. We love our bacon, and we, we love the barbecue, we love to eat meat, and, and yet others don't, and yet, my friends, I think of, we have a, a tremendous, a wonderful friendship and relationship and unity, and we, we, we coexist on things that are they're important to us, right? Bacon is important to me, uh, and I know it is to Brad as well, but it's not, it, it's not moral. It's, a, it's an issue we can have dispute on. Right? And that's okay. And Paul gives us some limits on these, doesn't he? Right? He says, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. I can hold a different view, but I need to pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Right? I love in this passage, Paul doesn't say, hey, stop eating meat entirely, or you guys start eating meat. His point is to say, we're going to live together in love. We're going to live together in love. And so now you're probably a few steps ahead of me here. And you go, where is he going with this this morning? And you understand, oh yeah, we're facing this exact kind of issue today in the midst of the pandemic of 2020. There's really kind of two categories of people. There are those who say, okay, we're talking, thinking about contact with others as a result of COVID-19. There are those who are bothered in their conscience in having contact with others. And there are those who are not bothered in their conscience. And I don't mean this is like a theoretical thing. There are those who are bothered in conscience for, for very good practical reasons. They, maybe they are vulnerable in their health or they know others who are vulnerable in their health or, or for whatever reason. You go, that's fine. You know, Paul doesn't say in Romans 14, oh, well, they're bothered because of this and they're not bothered because of that. He just says they are and they aren't. And that's kind of where we are. And we understand, like I show here the red arrow on the screen, there's a spectrum. And so there's some gray, and some people, or most of us, are probably not at one end or the other, but we're all somewhere on that spectrum. And so if we're going to apply the scripture to the situation we find ourselves in today, on May 31st, 2020, what matters? 
If we said before that in Paul's example, it doesn't matter whether you're eating meat or not eating meat, then we would say in our situation, it doesn't matter whether you're isolating or having contact. What matters is that you are in love. Love is what matters. That is what matters. That is how we're going to sort this out and move forward into the future. Love. And I I think we all probably would agree with this. Now some of you might go, wait, hold on. Hold on. What about what the authorities say, Greg? What about those authorities? And I would say this is a great question to ask. And I, and I saw this theme, you know, we, we did the survey. Thank you to all of you. I think almost every single one of you uh, participated in our survey. And as we sorted through that data, I saw this was a theme for a number of people. And of course, it was all anonymous, so I don't know who you are. That's okay. But there was a lot of people who said, wait a second. We don't want to meet together until our authorities say that it's okay for us. And I go, that is a great place to be, and that's where we are. And so let's talk for a moment. Let's sort of veer off this path into the path of talking about authority, just generally, this morning. So what are our authorities? I really see in the scripture kind of three levels of authority that apply to every single one of us. And then there's some levels that apply to certain ones of us in certain other places. But let's look at those three levels that apply to all of us. Obviously, the first level is God. God is our first authority. There's lots of places in Scripture we can see that. Matthew 28:18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, he's the authority. And it was given to him by God because he is God, right? So that's the authority. That's the first authority we have. God created everything. When we've placed our faith in Christ, our allegiance is to him. He is our first authority. And there's really no exception. There's no exception to that as our authority. Now, we have a second authority, and the scripture gives us a second authority, which is our government, our rulers. I'll give you a few passages. You know, it doesn't just say this once in the New Testament. We get a few different times. Here's one example, Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Over in 1 Peter, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor's supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And then also we see in Titus 3.1, Paul says to Titus, Remind the people in your church to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And so that's our reminder this morning, is that God has established the government for us, regardless of the place, regardless of the time, regardless of how we feel about that, that's what God has established for us. And they are an authority to us. Is there any exceptions to this? Well, I think there is an exception. The exception to this, we actually see an example of it in Scripture. In Acts chapter 5, a high priest has brought in these guys, Peter and the apostles, and he's questioning them, saying, we tell you We strictly have charged you not to teach in this name of Jesus, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's land upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And so we can see there is an exception. When the governing authority is setting out rules that are clearly contrary to God's clear instructions... 
We need to stick with the authority that's higher. And that authority that's higher is always going to be God. There's a third authority the Bible gives us, and that's our spiritual leaders. Example, Hebrew 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so when I read this passage in this verse and other places like this in the New Testament, I realize this is a really solemn thing and it makes me tremble because it makes me terrified because this is a charge to me as a spiritual leader over you. I'm supposed to be responsible. I'm supposed to be responsible and keep watch over you. And so I would just tell you, hey, look, my goal, I think you know me well enough, and Brad's goal is the same as well, but I always want to ask the question, how can I be a servant first and put your needs above mine? That's always my goal. And again, I think the exception with your spiritual leaders would be, hey, if, if we or other spiritual leaders are asking you or telling you or pushing you to do things that clearly contradict God's commands, then you should stick with God's commands and not ours. Right? So those are really the three layers that we see. We see God, we see government, we see spiritual leaders. Now, if you're a child... You have parents who are in authority and they in some ways fill that role for you, uh, for God and, and others. Uh, if you're an employee, you have uh, an employer and you're subject to that authority as well. We could come up with some other situations that uh, you know, may uh, apply there. But those three really sort of govern all of us. So given this authority structure from the Bible, what's at issue today when it comes to the COVID situation we have around us? We have to ask this question. Should our church meet together in person or not? And basically every church in the United States is walking through the same thing right now and coming to their conclusions on this. And I would say, okay, well, I believe we got to go back to the scripture and say, is there clear scriptural, God-mandated instruction for us where we should be pursuing meeting together in person? Well, here's a few options. Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, virtual meetings like this one are great. This is great, right? How cool this is. And it helps us keep connected in some way, shape, or form when we're in a pinch. And we're definitely in a pinch and have been here for a couple of months. But I truly believe if we were to just rely on this, if you took us back a year ago and we just said, hey, we're just going to have virtual church from now on, we would all understand intuitively we're giving up meeting together. And so if we just said, we're just going to run this into the future, I think what would eventually happen is that we would eventually be led individually into consumerism and a loss of this God-directed interaction that we all need as people. Another passage here, of course, Acts chapter 2. We've read this many times. Here are the early disciples. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. 
and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we've talked about the four things they were doing. And ultimately, I would say, you go down the road, I don't think those things are going to be possible in the long run in an all-virtual world. So there's another reason we should be meeting together in person. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Notice that it's not if you come together, it's when you come together. Right? We can say, oh, we're blessed to have virtual technology, and I say we are. But you know, they they could have come up with something, like Paul could have said, hey, write letters back and forth to each other, or uh, make smoke signals, you know, light up the watchtowers and and flash the lights, and you guys can, you can be at a distance and have, he didn't say that, he said come together. And there was a lot of intense pressure in their culture to not come together. And there's the directive for them to come together. So I think our conclusion is God's intention is that we do be meeting face to face as believers. And guess what? God is our first authority like we saw. And so I'm going to trust because he's the first authority that he designed it. That there is something and maybe it's even unquantifiable but he designed it with something that can only be gained when we are together in person. We've all probably used the term Zoom fatigue in the past month, or you've probably heard it. If you haven't, I guess it's the idea that, hey, I'm just getting sick of these Zoom meetings. Something is missing. And is that thing that's missing, the person-to-person interaction that possibly God designed us as human beings to need to have as a reflection of who He is as our Lord? It could be. So I think it's there. I think the, our authority is telling us, hey, we've got to be pursuing meeting together. So what can prevent us? There's things that can prevent us from meeting together, right? We have to be realistic. Well, I think when, when I sort of put my brain to this, I go, what can prevent us from meeting together? I think it's really two things. One is outside circumstances. The other is an authoritative mandate. Now, those outside circumstances, of course, could be things like disease, like what we've been experiencing. You can imagine natural disaster. Uh, you know, in the, in the wake of, say, Hurricane Katrina, there, there probably was a challenge for churches to get together in that. Um, in the midst of riots, for example, like are going on in our country right now, it might be really difficult for churches to meet together in places of, you know, hot spots of riots. Uh, we sometimes experience snowstorms here. Snowstorms prevent us from being able to meet together. And you could probably think of other examples of that. So there's outside circumstances that can prevent us. And then there can be an authoritative mandate from the government that says you cannot meet together. Now that happens in places like in China where they say you cannot meet together. And so sort of up against that like, well, is that going to prevent us from meeting together or not? And they've got to make those decisions. So what about our current circumstances right here in Denver, Colorado on this day today? Well, I look at these and I say, in reality, as I have done the research, uh, it's really the circumstances 
There's not an authoritative mandate. And I know a number of you, as I said, marked on the survey, hey, we'll meet together when the government says we can meet together. And then I'm here to show you this morning that the government has said we can meet together. So I'm going to walk through that in, in a few ways. First, we can go all the way to the top. All the way to the top to the President of the United States. Last week, the President of the United States said today, quote, Today I am identifying houses of worship as essential places that provide essential services. So whether you like it or not, whether you like the President or not, whether you like the federal government or not, the federal government, which is an authority God has established for us, has said, hey, you can meet together in person. Okay, so let's bring it down to the state level. What about at the state level? Well, I'll read for you what the state of Colorado published. They say, quote, under Safer at Home, Colorado's churches and places of worship are already successfully operating safely in person and virtually. The governor has been engaged with the faith community throughout this pandemic. He rejoices that Coloradans celebrate our faith and limited in-person religious gathering will continue to be conducted in as safe a way as possible while honoring the sanctity of life for parishioners by following state and local health orders as well as the important guidance that the faith community is putting together with health officials. The governor celebrates that for many Coloradoans our faith and spiritual community are critical to our well-being especially in a time of crisis. I think it's important to note that uh, by, by all indications, the governor does not share our faith values. He, he's not one who probably would find in, our, in the midst of our church, and yet he's said these things. And so again, whether you like him or not, whether you like our state government or don't like them or voted for them or didn't vote for them, the state of Colorado says in-person church, in church meetings are allowed. Well, that's encouraging. So you say, okay, what about those health orders? Well, you do the research and you look, and according to the Colorado Department of Health, the original stay-at-home order specifically indicated that churches could continue to meet. Now, we didn't, and most churches elected to not do that. We elected to go to a virtual-only service during that season, and we did that as a means of trying to show love to our community and trying to be sensitive to many of us, to people around us, and in the face of a lot of things that were unknown a couple of months ago, where we said, well, it just doesn't even make any sense, and how could we sort of defy what seems to be the prevailing trend of things? So we stepped back from that. But again, those health orders say, hey, you are free to meet. So if we look at it and we say, God says we can meet together, and then we say the government says we can meet together, and clearly Brad and I, if we've met together, we've said, yeah, it's a great thing for us to meet together and be together because that's what the Lord says we should do. So your spiritual authorities are saying you can meet together. And there's no outside forces that are physically preventing us from meeting together. There's no natural disaster or other thing that's keeping us from that. Our conclusion is that we are allowed to meet together in person. Which leads to the next question. Should we? (laughs) Should we meet together? If God says we should, and the authorities say we can, and our ultimate goal is to be in person, then to me, to us, it seems wise that we should chart a course back towards meeting together in person. 
so how? So how would we do that? Which is like the million or the billion dollar question in our country of so many churches who are having to struggle through this. But I would say, well, let's just go back to Romans 14 and say, in some ways, this is a disputable spiritual matter. So how do we engage with it? Well, we engage with it like we do any of these, in love. We're going to engage with it in love. And so how are we going to do this? How are we as the Firehouse Church going to do this? Well, we're going to do what I call the big tent approach. So you can see I've got on the screen here a picture of a big tent. Uh, This is like what Dale and Linda use when they go camping with their extended family, but they need about four or five of these to fit their entire extended family (laughs) into this. Uh, Other people, this is like they could have a kitchen and a dining room and a living room and and whatever. This is a big tent. Anyway, that's kind of funny. But the main idea is just a picture of a big tent. We want to create a big tent in our church. And the idea of a big tent is you set up a big tent so you can get as many different kinds of people into it at once. So that's what we want to do. So the main idea is when it comes to COVID-related issues in this isolation versus not isolation realm we find ourselves in at the moment, we want to create meetings with options that allow for the inclusion of as many different kinds of people with as many different convictions on this as possible. So yes, at the front end, yes, we acknowledge that on this issue there is room for differing views. And yes, we acknowledge and we accept while we are all looking at the same information, we can each come to different conclusions on this issue. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to have a big tent? Well, a couple things. First thing we're going to do is we're going to engage what we call the hybrid method. And we want to do this because the hybrid method, we think, is as inclusive as possible. Now, when I say hybrid, what do I mean? I chuckle. My mom, she's, turns, she's in her mid-70s. Uh, she drives a Prius. And a Prius, of course, is a hybrid. And what is a hybrid? A hybrid is a vehicle that uses both gas and electricity, sort of depending on the circumstances. It's not an electric car. It's not a gas car. It's both. It's a hybrid. It's both. Which is better? Well, I don't know. It depends on your perspective. Or maybe it depends on the circumstance. Both of those things are actually great when it comes to my mom's car. And so we think the same thing is going to be true in this church. We're going to have hybrid church. A hybrid method. We're going to have both in-person and virtual, usually simultaneous. That's the goal. Why? Again, because we want to make a big old tent. A big old tent that we can all join in together. We want to include all of us and everyone we can and other new people who might want to come in and join in with us. And I would say, before we go any further, can we stop and praise God for the technology that we have so that we can do this and we're not using smoke signals and and letters sent by Pony Express? It's great. So what is it going to look like? What will this hybrid method look like? Well, for starters, we're going to start a little cycle. And we're going to start with house church. And we're going to do house church every third week. And we're going to do our all church gatherings in between. And to start off, we're going to start, we're going to experiment with this hybrid method in the house churches. So house churches are going to be both in person and virtual simultaneous at the same time. And then on the weeks in between, we'll come back to these Zoom meetings where we're all together by Zoom. And we'll start with that, and as we go, we'll evaluate and see if that needs to change. 
But when we have these meetings, if you're an in-person attendee at one of our house churches, just be aware your leaders are going to develop protocols. Protocols for appropriate social distancing and health and hygiene. And they're going to use CDC recommendations, but each house church is going to tailor those protocols to their group. And we're doing that based a lot on that data we got from your surveys. And so in that sense, some house churches may have more protocols going on and some may have less going on. And over time, they'll all change and hopefully relax, right? We want everything to relax because we want all this to go away and things to be all safe again. Now that's for the in-person attendees. If you're a virtual attendee to one of these things, our leaders, we're going to work really hard to be as inclusive as possible within the technological limits we have, but we're not just going to take a camera and shove it off in the corner and put the microphone over there where you can't hear. We're going to work really hard to make it inclusive so it feels like you are there as much as possible and the church is going to resource our house churches so if we need to upgrade technology, we're going to upgrade technology to improve that experience and that connection point. So that's kind of a general overview on the hybrid method. Second thing we're going to do is, like I said, we're going to keep it at the house church scale. Now, if you need review, go back and listen to our series on where we're going and why we're going there as house churches. And I think really this hybrid method might get a little bit unruly on a large scale. Like, can you imagine trying to do this in a church of 500 or 1,000 or 5,000? could be crazy. And so at this juncture, as we look around the country, we see a lot of churches scrambling. They're scrambling and they're going, oh, okay, we've got, we got to emphasize small groups or we've got to create our own uh, house churches, right? And I'm like, hey, we already have those things. They're already established. We are already going that way already. I think it's great. And it's exciting. Now, here's a little quote uh, that one of our sister churches put up recently. Uh, and they say, this guy, Alan Hirsch, he's a theologian, I think, from Australia. And he says, if you want to learn how to play chess, you should start by removing your own queen. Once you've mastered the game without the most powerful piece, then put the queen back and see how good you are. For the church... Sunday service is our queen. We've been relying on it too much. Now that the queen has been taken off the board, it's time to rediscover what all the other pieces can do. I think that's an interesting idea. And I don't necessarily disagree with all of it. But I would actually, I would sort of counter it with another idea. What if, if we're playing this game of chess... Our Sunday service is not actually the queen. What if it's some lesser piece? And we've just been treating it like it's the most important piece. And we've been leaving the most important pieces set aside and unused. Maybe we've been relying too much on the Sunday service and making it the main thing. And I think my observation as it comes to this is I go, wow, I think during this pandemic, during the past couple months, there's been tremendous relational growth going on in our church and it's happening at the house church level and in the house church circles and we want to continue that growth we want to continue that experience and that connection and so we want to be focused on house churches and so we feel like the best place to roll out this hybrid format is going to be at the house church circle 
And so I want to say this. Of course, we look at God. I say, God knew. Of course God knew when he led us towards house churches. We didn't know anything about a pandemic. But God knew. He knew we would experience this thing. And I am in faith that God has designed this to help propel us as a church forward into the future. So we're going to do that method. We're going to do it at the house church scale, at least for starting. And the third thing we're going to do to create a big tent approach is we're going to call every single one of you to love. So I'm calling you right now to love. It's a call. Love doesn't just happen. It doesn't just sort of flow out of us. Despite what all the songs and the movies say, love is a choice. Those of you who have children understand for sure. Those of you who have parents understand for sure that love is a choice. If we don't love, if each one of us doesn't make a choice to love each other in this church, this is going to fail. So it's really important, and this brings us back to where we started in Romans 14, where it says, live together. Live together how? In love. If we don't put this choice first, then it doesn't matter what format we take, what method we follow, or whatever, we will not succeed if we won't love each other. And that's probably true all the time. So how can we do that? How can we love? Ask yourself that. How can I love? Well, I'm going to give you some practical things as we go into this method, into this format, into this new schedule, ways that you can love. Or ways that you cannot love if you don't do these things, for sure. So first... You can be patient with the process. Please, be patient with the process. There have been bumps all along here the past couple months, haven't there? All different kinds of things. I appreciate you and I thank you for your patience. But to show love, you can be patient. If you ever say, they should have gotten this perfect, (laughs) that's not an attitude of love. So let's be patient with the process and as we figure this out and as we adjust as we go along, you can show love to each other, to your leaders by doing that. Second, goes along with it, is to be gracious. Be gracious with others. Like I said, each house church is going to pick a set of protocols to start out with and they're going to go with it. And we could pick all different sorts of things. But they're going to pick one and go with it. And you might look at those and say, those are too strong. Those are too restrictive. I don't want to have to do that. Or you might look at those and say, those are too weak. That doesn't seem safe. That doesn't seem wise. I don't like that. And I think it's kind of funny. We even saw some of that in the survey where there were some people who said this and some people who said that. We said, well, wow, those things are at at odds. And we go, that's okay. That's part of the deal. We're living in the midst of a time where we have something that's disputable. Selfishness will make us complain and make comments and rail against the standards and the process that's being set up. Love will let us be gracious. Love will let us be united. Love will call us to accept the format and our role in it and move forward. The third thing, this is super practical, is we can just be extra cautious about sickness. Right? And this probably goes without saying. We're all doing this in, in all of our realms. If, if you have symptoms of any kind of sickness, stay home. 
And now we have a virtual option where you can just stay home. You're sick, show love by staying home. And that's probably true whether we have a pandemic or not. And maybe some of us have slipped a little bit on that and say, well, I really want to go to church and I was feeling sick and they would go anyway. It is love to stay home and avoid passing illness to others. And now you can still participate. You can still be included and in fellowship on the virtual option. So it's kind of an upgrade in that sense. Fourth way we can show love is by be accepting of others who don't share your convictions. It is imperative. It is imperative to accept others who don't share your convictions. And I think this might be something that tends a little bit more towards those who say, I'm going to use the virtual option, as you probably have pretty strong convictions on how you feel about things going on in the world and the virus and the pandemic and social distancing and those things. You're probably pretty strong on those. And you might have a tendency in your heart to say, how could so-and-so meet together? Don't they know they can get sick? Don't they know they can get other people sick? And we accept that, and we understand that, and we understand that, yes, meeting together does mean we accept a risk of illness, a risk of spreading it, and so forth. But you have to remember, we're all looking at the same data. We're all looking at the same information. We're all in the same situation, and everyone gets to make their own decision. And some people are going to find that the value of being together in person outweighs their perception of that risk. And so if you aren't that person, you can turn towards that person and you can show love toward them by accepting their view and by building them up even though they see it differently than you do. And then this one, the fifth one, and this is probably for those of you whose conscience is going to allow you to meet together in person, is to understand that the virtual option does not exist so that you can simplify your life. That's not what we're doing this for. This option is intended so that we can include people who have different convictions or those who have those circumstances where they are sick and, and probably shouldn't come to something. It is not put in place so you can simplify your life. I know how it is. I know how it is. I'll tell you what I mean. It takes significant effort. It takes significant effort and sacrifice to be together in person as a church, doesn't it? I know I have six kids. That's a lot of clothes to put on, a lot of hair to fix. There's travel to go to and from. You have kids who have a tendency. I know they can do this and they melt down or they run wild on Sunday and you're going, ah, it would just be so easy. So easy as we offer this virtual option to say, I am running late. I'm tired. I slept in a little bit longer. I'm just going to elect the virtual option today. Or to say, you know what? There's a lot of effort that goes on here and I could save some time. So if I skip the effort to be physically present, I can have space to have other things to do in my day. And I would say, are those kind of decisions decisions made out of love or not? And I'd say, I don't think that's in love. That sounds a lot like selfishness to me. So, if you say, in my conscience, I can accept meeting in in person, and I'm going to go meet in person, 
And if you say, yeah, I'm going to love, I'm going to live together in love with my church family, then you should say the virtual option is only there under special circumstances such as, I'm sick. It is not there so you can say, well, that will allow me to, to get on to barbecue in the afternoon. Or, ah, uh, I can just sit there and watch and I don't need to get dressed because I don't have enough megapixels on my camera and they can't see what I look like. That's not love. Now, let's take that and flip it to the other side and say, okay, if you're going to attend a meeting virtually, <clears throat> can I ask this of you? And maybe this is your like last free day here of this. Can you turn on your camera? If we're going to meet together in a house church, it is going to be interactive. And the scripture calls us to be together. And if you have a conviction or a circumstance that says, I can't be together, it's not right for me to be there, that's great. Turn on your camera so we can see you. So we can all be together. If you're not visible, it diminishes that opportunity. You know how it is. We all have these meetings with work and stuff and someone has their camera off and you go, are they there? Are they paying attention? Are they playing a game? Are they in the bathroom? I don't know. And so if that means, if you're going to take the virtual option, if that means you need to take a little bit more effort to get yourself properly dressed or fix your hair or get the kids settled so you can be on camera, then by doing that, you are showing love to the other people. And that's the goal. All of these things we want to love. It's love. It's not a do this, don't do that. It's how can I show love given the convictions and the circumstances and the place that I am? How can I show love to my brothers and sisters in Christ? So that's where we're going. And so just a quick review here so you understand. Next weekend, we'll be in hybrid format in the house churches. That's coming next weekend. Now, this week, your leaders will communicate with you as we get these plans sort of dialed in. They'll let you know all of the details, the day and the time, the protocols, how the technology is going to work, the Zoom number, whatever. We'll do that. That'll be communicated. We'll do that next week. Then the two weeks after that, we'll come back. And we'll all be together virtually, just like we are now, and we'll have a message and and be together that way. And then, Lord willing, we'll go back and we'll repeat that cycle again. We'll we'll take the lessons learned, we'll try to smooth out the bumps, and, and move on to the next cycle of doing it and trust the Lord. So that's what I had to share with you this morning. And I hope it resonates with you. I hope it directs you to where we're going. Um, I hope you get the sense that we want to provide opportunity for being together and for showing love to one another, regardless of our convictions. So now I'm going to pray and commit these plans to the Lord. Yeah, God, we, we do. We, we lift up our plans to you. Uh, Lord, in some ways, we all probably are struggling through some of these things in our own lives of when do I go out and when do I uh, stay home? When do I interact with friends and when do I not? When do I see family and when do I not? And Lord, as a church, we want to walk that out in a way that's wise and gracious and we want to create a big tent that everybody can fit into. And Lord, that's our heart. Lord, and if we end up not doing this right, you'd have us do something different, Lord. We, we just are, are committed to following you and following your leading and following your wisdom. 
Lord. So we ask you to just guide us in that. God, you've given us a call. You have given us a scriptural call for each one of us to show love to one another. And back in January of 2020, I think none of us had any idea that we would need to show love to each other the way that we have to show love to each other in the coming weeks and months. But God, you've given us your Holy Spirit. As we remember on this Pentecost, you sent the Holy Spirit to live inside those of us who've placed our faith and our trust in you and received the free gift of salvation. And so, Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would fill us with love for one another. Help us in that. Help us to grow. Help us to move forward into our future. Uh, Lord, keep us safe, we ask. Uh, Lord, give us opportunities to reach out to others around us, to show love even to people who are outside of our church circle, that we might see them drawn in and drawn to you. Lord, thank you for providing for us, for caring for us, and for loving us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.